Well, I want to welcome you here to Big Valley Grace and welcome to all of you that are listening online. Um, Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, it's good to be back. I took a week off and uh, always miss being here. Went to another local church here in town, went to Cross Point. And uh, one of the great things about our city are all of the, the great churches in our town. And I know they, uh, when they try to figure out, you know, the best cities in the, in the nation or in the state, um, and which are the crummiest, you know, cities, we're always on the bottom five crummiest cities. But I guarantee you, they never take into account the great churches in, in our town, because there are just some, some great, great churches. It was good to be down there and worship with other believers, and it was great, but it's always uh, a good thing to, to come back. Hey, a couple things uh, before I get into this. Let me... Um, just piggyback on what Pastor Bobby said about the, uh, the follow class. Um, you know, a lot of people come to faith in Christ or they make a profession of faith. And I don't know whether it's genuine or, or not. You know, no one's going to stand before me. All I can do is present the gospel and people will tell me all kinds of things. But if the decision that people make to uh, follow Christ is genuine, there, there's going to be some, some actions. Something's going to uh, motivate them to want to know more about the God that, you know, that they've given their life to. And, and the follow class really is a chance for people who maybe last week, last month, six months ago, a year ago, you gave your life to Christ. You've been coming to church. The follow class is a, a great time where we get to be together for about seven or eight weeks it's really cash. It's in the fireside room. We got coffee. There's child care and a lot of questions and answers. We'd love to have you be a part of it. But it's also for those of you, maybe you've given your life to Christ a long time ago. And frankly, you just haven't grown much in the last year or decade. <laughs> and let's make that different this year. Let's, let's you know, you could come. And say, you know what, I, I just really haven't matured much in my faith. It's time to really maybe do something a little bit more to learn about this God that so loved me that he came and died for me and rose again for me kind of a thing. And you're welcome to come uh, too. All you got to do is just, you know, call the church, go to the website, just show up here Wednesday. I don't care. Just come. But if you let us know you're coming, we'll have enough books and all that kind of stuff. And so... Um, I'm looking forward to Wednesday. I, I teach this class about once a year, and, and I'm just excited about it. And then I also want to tell you this. There's nothing in your program. In fact, they really didn't want me to say anything about it, but I'm kind of excited, so I'm going to tell you anyway. The last Friday of every month, starting this month, so January 30th, the last Friday of, this, of, of every month, um, Phil and Connie Grover, uh, he was an elder here at our church. He used to be the director of our women's ministry are going to uh, have a, uh, a Friday time of prayer here. And they're putting a team together. And it'll be from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. And it'll meet in the altar room. And you, you can come for you know, 10 minutes. You can come for 30 minutes. You can come for an hour. You can stay the whole time. It's not about coming from 6 to 1. You could you know, come from 10 to 10.30. And they'll just be here to hand you some things and kind of uh, you know, give you some thoughts on how you might pray. Uh, if there's not enough room in the altar room, you'll be able to find other places maybe in here. And I want to encourage you, okay, if this is your home, you, you know, you name the name of Christ, Big Valley Grace is your home church. The last Friday of every month, 
you got to write that on your calendar. It could be your lunch hour. It could be whatever it is before you go to work. I want you to say, man, let's try to come down here. Maybe as a family, maybe as a couple, that you'd come and pray for some of the things that they'll, they'll, they'll direct you in, okay? Well, we're beginning a, a, a brand new, uh, I don't know, three-week mini-series called Spiritual Warfare here tonight. And, and I think it's going to be a great way to kick off the new year. And let me tell you why. You see, by the end of this year, by the end of 2015, some of you uh, won't want anything to do with God. You know, every year, if you're visiting with us, we do a remembrance video on this weekend. So every year, we do a video of all of those who are members of our church, who uh, took their last breath here, and we now know are with the Lord. And it's just part of our rhythm here at, at Big Valley, just to remember those that were a part of our family here. And uh, not only will, you know, some of you, maybe you'll be on that, in that video. Maybe I will. I don't, I don't know. But I also know this, there will be some of you who won't want anything to do with God by the time the year ends. And I don't know who it'll be. And I know some of you are thinking, well, it won't, won't be me. Well, maybe it won't be you. Maybe it'll be your spouse. Maybe it'll be your parents. Maybe it'll be, you know, your, your kids. I, I don't know who it will be, but you won't want anything to do with Christianity or church. You, you won't want to, you know, read your Bible or go to church or, or whatever. I've been here at Big Valley Grace for almost 30 years. I, I know. I can see some of your faces now, but by the end of the year, something, something will happen. You, you, you just won't be here. Some of you will remember this, and you'll come to me and say, yeah, it was my spouse, it was my son, it was my grandpa, it was my parents. And the reason why some of you won't be here, you, you just won't want to have anything to do with God or Christianity or whatever, it's because you're, you're, you're going to lose the, the war. You'll lose the, the spiritual war that's going on right now in your life. And the sad thing is, is that most of you really don't even have a clue that there's one going on. It's really one of the tragic things about believers in America today. We don't really understand this idea that there's a war that's going on for, for our lives, our families, and, and those kinds of, of things. You see, the Bible tells us that the very moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, a lot of, a lot of things happened. Your sins are forgiven, right? That, that's one of the things that, man, every Christian knows that. Man, our sins have been forgiven. Your body became the home in which the Holy Spirit lives. You became a part of God's family. You're, you're one of his children. The moment you invited Christ into your life, when, when you die, when you take your last breath down here on planet Earth, your next breath will be in heaven, right? We, we, we kind of know those things. And the list goes on and on and on. But there was one other major thing that happened when you gave your life to Christ. <laughs> and that is you picked up an enemy. A very powerful enemy. A very evil enemy. In fact, let me give you a, a few of the names that the, that the Bible gives your enemy. The serpent. Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, liar, 
the murderer, the prince of this world, the God of this age, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the tempter, the evil one, the dragon, the accuser. Beloved, Satan's real. He's powerful. He's evil. And he hates you. Actually, he hates God, but because God lives inside of you, guess what? He hates you too. And very few of you in this room, when you woke up this morning, thought about that. You didn't think about the fact that you have an enemy, a very powerful enemy, a real enemy, an evil enemy, an enemy who hates you. You, you just kind of got up and, you know, you ate your post hosties and you, you just kind of went out the door and you did whatever you did today, right? And by the way, that's the way he likes it. I can tell you he's not real thrilled about this little series right here. He likes the fact that you don't really think that much about him. You just kind of go about your life and you just kind of do your thing and you don't really think all that much about the fact that you have a real enemy, a powerful enemy, an evil enemy, an enemy that hates you because you have God living inside of you. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 1, for he, that's God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, we may have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, but Satan is still alive and well. Satan and his kingdom are still with us, which means this side of heaven, we've got trouble. We're in a war. And you may not understand that you're in a war, but you're in one. Whatever is going on in, in your life, in your family, in your marriage, whatever it might be, your business or whatever, you name the name of Christ, there is a war going on, whether you get it or not. There's one happening. P Peter said, said this, he said, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, your wife. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't say that, does it? Your husband doesn't say that, does it? Your parents, no. Satan would love for you to think that the enemy is your spouse. He, he just, he, he's really good at making you think the enemy is your parents. <laughs> the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter said, your enemy. You see that there in your Bibles? Peter said, your enemy. Notice Peter didn't say the Lord's enemy. He didn't say the holy angel's enemy. He didn't say the missionary's enemy. He didn't say the pastor's enemy. He didn't say the church's enemy. Make, Peter makes this very personal, doesn't he? He says, your enemy, 
Now, he's the Lord's enemy, and he's the missionary's enemy, and he's the church's enemy, and he's the pastor's enemy. He's all those things, too. But Satan would love for you to think like that. Well, I know the enemy's the church, you know, and the enemy's, well, the pastor, I can understand. No, 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 no. Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, your enemy, your enemy, And once again, I don't know how many, probably not many, got up this morning and thought, I got an enemy out there. And let me tell you something. While you were sleeping, while you were in la-la land drooling on your pillow or whatever it is you were doing, he wasn't sleeping. Oh, you made it through another day. But he was up all night long with his band of demons just trying to figure out, okay, it's a new day. How do we screw up this life today? How do we screw up this family today? How do we screw up this marriage today? How do we screw up this God-honoring business today? How do we do it today? And you might make it through another day. I hope after this message, maybe tomorrow you wake up a little differently. Maybe you'll wake up each morning a little differently. Maybe you'll kind of go through each day just a little bit differently. Maybe just by virtue of this one passage right here where Peter says, your enemy. Beloved, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an enemy, and it's not your spouse, it's not your parents, it's not your teenager, it's not your boss, it's not your enemy. Your, your, your enemy is, is not human. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is the devil, the demons. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And he has schemes. This day ain't over with yet. Who knows what's lurking right outside these doors? Pretty safe in here. You see, if you're a believer, then, then you, you believe that this is God's word, every bit of it. This isn't just you know, a bunch of mumbo jumbo. This is God's word to us, his people. And what's interesting is that God gave us, for those of us that like sports, God gave us a scouting report, if you will, on the enemy. He gave us some thoughts, some data, some things out there about our, about our enemy. Beloved, your enemy is spiritual. The, the, the warfare is spiritual. This is why you need spiritual power. And I'll talk about this more in the next few weeks, Lord willing. Now, when you read through the, the book of Ephesians, which we've been studying as a church family together last year, you, you can't miss what the Lord's will is for your life. See if you can pick up on this. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Ephesians 5.8 says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord, so live as people of the light. Ephesians chapter 5, 
goes on and says this, don't be drunk with wine because that will just ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Beloved, it's God's will that you live differently, right? It's God's will that you live a life that honors him. It's God's will that you imitate him. It's God's will that you live as a person of the light. And every true Christian wants to live a life that's different, right? I, I, I meet people all the time, and they give their life to Christ. And, you know, man, everybody says, I, I just want to live differently. I, I just, I've gotten goofed up here. I've gotten goofed. My priorities got all messed up. I don't know what happened along the way, but I just want to live differently. Some of you, the reason why you're here this first weekend of you know, 2015 is you know, you're, you're turning over a new leaf. You've made a resolution. You, you want to be different, right? i got to make some changes in my life. And for whatever reason, you, know, you get to the first week of January and everybody's thinking about all those, those, those kinds of, of, of things. Every true believer wants to live differently. They want to live a life that honors God, but, but it's not easy, is it? Sometimes living out your faith can be really hard and difficult. In fact, most of the time it is. It's, it's not easy to live as people of the light. It's not easy to, to live a God-honoring life. And, and by the way, no one's going to do it perfectly. If you're visiting you know, with us and you don't know anything about me, let me just tell you, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't always, you know, I don't always pull it off. I don't always love like God would want me to love. I, God says treat others the way you'd want to be treated, you know. And I don't always do that. Um, sometimes, you know, I drive by the guy whose tire just blew out on the freeway, you know. He's got a cell phone, right? He can call AAA. I don't need to do it. Now, plus, I'll just show up and break their tire because I don't know anything about I don't know how to fix anything, you know. And the reason why it's, it's hard is because there's a spiritual war that's going on. That's why. It's why some of you won't be here next weekend. <laughs> you just won't be here. You gave it one week, man. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm bored. This is boring to me. I could be home watching, you know, reruns of the I Love Lucy show. Anything, you know being here I know don't think because I have a title of pastor that it's easy <laughs> I get it I, I understand how difficult it, it, it can be let me show you a few places in the Bible where we see this spiritual war going on in real time and some of these are so bizarre they're just really bizarre places. In Daniel chapter 10, we're, we're told a bizarre story. Daniel has prayed, and he asked God for something, and Daniel has this vision where this huge, powerful angel shows up, and it says this in verse 12. Remember, Daniel's prayed. He's asked God for something. And then Daniel, it says this in, in chapter 12. Then he said, and this is that ginormous angel that showed up, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. Isn't that a good thing? God hears us when we pray. That's good. I have come in answer to your prayers. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. 
Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit of the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to, to come. <laughs> it gives you a little insight. Daniel prays. God hears his prayer. God sends this angel with the answer, and boom! There was a spiritual war that went on for 21 days. All of a sudden, Michael, the archangel, shows up, and he gets involved in it, which then frees up this angel to finally get to David or Daniel to give him the answer. Some of you never read that. And, and, and we get a little glimpse of, of, um, of this spiritual warfare that goes on in this little moment here. Now, if you thought that story was weird... Listen to what it says in Jude 9. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, in Daniel 10, he's the archangel, right? Did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. <laughs> you see, Moses dies, right? And we don't know where he was buried. Bob didn't tell us where he was buried. But obviously, in the spiritual realm, there was a war going on over the body of Moses. I think the devil and the demons wanted to do something with the body. I don't know exactly what. Michael's there to say, no, you're not touching the body. You're not going to do anything with the body. I mean, here you got this bizarre moment going on. In a place that we just didn't see. We don't know about. Revelation chapter 12 says this. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael, there's the archangel again, and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. This tells us about a moment that's yet to come. You see, right now, Satan has access to heaven. And we see that in the book of Job. And I don't have time to go into that. Satan is in heaven. He, he's the accuser of the brethren. He has access to heaven. But there comes a moment in the future where Satan is cast out of heaven. He no longer has access to heaven. He's actually cast down to planet Earth with all of his demons. That, that, that's a, a, a real moment. It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Some of you never even thought about this whole demonic angelic world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen when the believer, uh, what happens to the believer who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that Jesus, when, when, when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. 
We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, will we, then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. He's talking about a moment that we call the rapture. There's coming a moment when the Lord's going to come back and he's going to take his, his, his church, his bride with him to heaven. But I want you to look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel. Michael, there's that Michael again. My question is, what's Michael doing there? What does Michael have to do with any of this? When the Lord comes back and he's going to take his bride, his church with him, what's Michael doing there? Well, no one really knows, but let me tell you what I think. I think Satan's going to do everything that he can to make sure the rapture doesn't happen. And there's going to be a war going on in the spiritual realm that we know nothing about. And guess who's going to be there? The Rambo, if you will, of the angels. Michael. I, mean, I don't know if he's got one of them big knives. I don't know how it works, but he seems to show up at every scuffle, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, beloved, all this to say is that you have an enemy, and he's bigger, and he's badder than you are. I mean, even Michael, the archangel, wouldn't even goof around with him. The Lord rebuke you. I ain't messing with you. Your enemy's real, he's, he's powerful, he's evil, and he hates you, and he hates the God that, that, you, that you serve. And I could go on and on and on and on and on, and I'll touch on this throughout the next few weeks if God doesn't come back, but I at least wanted you to have a little taste of what God has left us in his word as it relates to spiritual warfare and some of the things that go on in places that we don't really know all that much about. So here's what I want to do. I want to answer a couple of important questions, okay? And um, the first one is, is this. How does Satan work in the life of the believer? How, how does Satan work in your life, my, my life? How, how does it go down? What, well, what does the Bible say? Well, let me give you a few thoughts. This isn't a comprehensive list. These are just a few of the ways that the Bible says that our enemy, this real and powerful and evil enemy, will work in our lives. And uh, they're in no particular order, but Satan tempts you to disobey God and his word. And we see this in the very first book of the Bible, right? Genesis chapter 3. Then the serpent, the devil, Satan, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman said. It's only the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you'll die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And right out of the gate, the very first two human beings meet up with the enemy, the powerful enemy we have, the evil enemy we have. He hates God, remember? And here are two people who are walking with the Lord, 
And what is he doing? He's trying to, to tempt them to disobey God, disobey his word. He's pretty good at it. <laughs> I would venture to say he's uh, nailed every one of us. Some of them. I don't care how long you walk with God. I know a lot of preachers who walked with God longer than I've been alive. Preached the word longer than I've, you know, preached the word. Know more about the, forgot more about the Bible when they took a shower this afternoon than I know totally who have fallen. Satan's pretty good at what he does. He has his PhD in temptation. Did you think about that this morning when you got up? That he's going to have all kinds of little landmines out there, all kinds of little schemes to get you to maybe just, you know, ah, what's the big deal, right? Just compromise a little bit. Number two, Satan can hinder your service for God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Paul says, for we, want, we wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. Think that one through for a moment. The great apostle Paul, guy wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. Satan hindered his service. So Satan's really good at what he does. Number three, Satan tries to intimidate you to walk away from God. He, he can cause all kinds of physical pain, even death. I think that was kind of the point of, when you read Job chapter one and two. You see Job, this righteous man who loves God, who's walking with God, you know, he wants his 2015 to be awesome. And Job says, well, let me take all that he's got, and I'll guarantee you, then he'll curse you. That didn't work. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me take his family, and he'll really jack you up, God. You see what he was doing? And I use that word. I don't know if you like the word, but he's, he's intimidating Job, that Job would finally say, I don't want to be with you anymore, God. My life's too crummy. You, you took away all my goats and my cows and my business. You, you, you took my family. You took my kids. It's too painful. And, 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 Job, and Satan just goes, there we go. Yes, there we go. <laughs> now, it didn't really work with Job, but it certainly works with lots of other people. He's real, he's powerful, he's evil, he hates you. Satan accuses you be, be, be before God. Revelations 12, for the accuser of our brothers who's accused them before our God day and night has, hurled, has been hurled down. I don't know how this works, beloved, I don't know. But the Bible tells us that right now, Satan is in heaven trash-talking you. Uh, Rick Countryman, you know he's a loser. You know, you know, you know he, he didn't really pray all that much. You, you, know, you know, he doesn't really read his Bible all that much. He, you, know, you know, he didn't really treat his wife the way, uh, you know, he kicked the cat the other day. And he, there he is, he's the accuser of the brethren. Just, just hammering me, hammering me, hammering me, hammering me, hammering me before God. And he does that with you too. And I don't know how it all works, folks. I don't know. I just know that we get this image of somebody up there 
who's just trash-talking me. He's trash-talking you. The good news is, is there sits Jesus. And he keeps buttoning, I guess, going, yeah, that may be true about Rick, but he's given his life to me. He's one of our kids, Father. His sins have been forgiven. I live in him, Dad. And there's Jesus defending us before the Father. Uh, Number five, Satan tries to deceive you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. (laughs) You see, the thing about Satan is he wants to be just like God. When I was a kid, you know, one of the guys that was like really evil was like Ozzy Osbourne. And there were these rumors that, you know, somebody threw a bat up on the platform and he bit the bat's head off, you know. And here's the thing. I think Satan hates that kind of stuff. That is not Satan's method of operandi. He comes as an angel of light. He wants to be just like God, but just tweak it enough to where you miss the real deal. That's what Satan wants. And so Satan will put all kinds of counterfeit things in front of us. There's that old saying that the good becomes the enemy of the very best. Look, Satan knows that you know, he can't rob us of our salvation. And so he'll put good things in front of us. And we as believers, we just bite. It's a good thing. Instead of praying and thinking and going, well, that may be a good thing, but what's God's will? You see, it's always God's will that we're to do. Always God's will. And so if Satan can get you to do something really good, fantastic. As long as you're not doing God's will. He'll get you to do good things. If all we had to do as believers is choose between good and evil, <laughs> that'd be a no-brainer. Christianity would be, be a walk in the park. Who couldn't decide between what's good and evil? Sometimes we even make that bad choice, but most of the time it's not between good and evil. It's between what's good and what's the very best, Right? It's between what's good and what is really God's will for my life, for my family, whatever all that might be. Number six, Satan will bring false friends into your life. And I don't have time to read the story, but in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through about 43, it's a fascinating story. You know, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like a great spy novel. If Satan can somehow plant a double agent in your life, you know, and now you got this person in your life, and man, they, they really, they're always there for you. I don't even know what that means. What do you mean they're always there for you? If you were going to, I don't know, uh, kidnap somebody and kill them, would they be there for you? Well, no. Well, then they're not always there for you. Hopefully your friends care enough about you to not always support you in whatever they want to do. That is just so lame and immature and just stupid. When you hear people say that, I support them whatever they do. Well, they're out selling crack to children right now. Are you okay with that? Well, no. Well, then don't say it. Don't be an idiot. I, I know you're trying to say something that sounds neat and cool and, you know, sounds, you know, like you're really special, but you're making yourself out to be an idiot. It's just, 
And let me tell you something. You read that story and you see how Satan will put in your life people who really aren't who they, who you think they are. And then you come to passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Don't be deceived. Bad company will corrupt good morals. And I'll bet most of us in this room, especially when we were younger, we saw that happen, right? In fact, I'll tell you right now. Forget, forget those of you that are younger, because your parents always throw that one out. out. Parents know that verse right here. Let me talk to you parents. You tell me about your friends, and I can tell you about your life. Forget your, forget your kids. Tell me who you're hanging out with. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't interface with non-saved people. Obviously, we're supposed to do that. That's part of the gig. Otherwise, how are they ever going to know about Christ, right? But don't, you, you know, Satan's really good. He's, he's working every angle he can to make sure that you don't live a God-honoring life, that you don't imitate a life worthy of your calling, that, that you won't, don't live as a person of the light. And frankly, um, and this is just one guy's opinion, I think he's winning. I look at the church in America today and I just go, he's winning! He, he, he's winning this thing. Now, that's not to say that many of you aren't, aren't, aren't doing it. I know you are. But, man, he, he's just really good at what he does. And it's time for us as believers, uh, if we want to have a great year or a great decade or whatever it is or a great week, we just got to realize we got this enemy out there. So, anyway... Here's the deal. He tempts you to disobey God and his word. He can hinder your service for God. He tries to imitate you to, or intimidate you to walk away from God. He accuses you before God. He tries to deceive you and he'll bring false friends into your life. Now, this brings me to my, my second question, and that's this. Why does God allow Satan and the demons access to us? Isn't that a good question? I mean, why does it even, why, why? What's the point? I mean, why not when we give our lives to Christ, you know, there's a force field around us. Or remember, get smart, the cone of silence. And we, we just had the cone of silence around us, or we became the bubble boy, and we just were in a bubble, and, you know, no, no, why, why does it even happen? And well, it's a good question, at least for me. I, I think about these things. Well, let me give you a couple thoughts. Number one, to keep you humble. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, so to keep me from becoming proud... I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. That's just, that's just freaky. You know what I'm saying? Hey, just because I'm the preacher doesn't mean I, I get everything. I don't get it. I understand it, but wow. Man. This idea that God would allow Satan access into our lives to keep us humble, to keep us in a position of, of submission to him. See, because once you get proud and you start thinking you got it all together, you know, you walk out the door and you forget that you even have an enemy, that's a dangerous place to be. And so sometimes God loves us so much, he just wants to keep us Humble, just like he did Paul. Just want to keep you humble, Paul. 
I've given you visions, Paul, that the average man will never see, and I just want to make sure you stay humble, brother. Uh, Number two, to strengthen your faith. Uh, Number three, to illustrate to Satan the power of someone who has a relationship with God. Number four, to test you. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2 to the church at Smyrna, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. I love what Dr. MacArthur said about that. He said, God, God's purpose in permitting that imprisonment was so that they would be tested. By successfully enduring that trial, they would prove the reality of their faith to be strengthened and proved once again that Satan cannot destroy genuine saving faith. And I'll let that stand. I could talk about all these. Number five was really interesting to me, and that is this, to bring judgment upon a life. And once again, I'm going to tell you just something that's just so bizarre. Just, this is just a bizarre one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Paul says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the the, the pagans. In other words, man, there's some deviant stuff going on. A man has his father's wife? Think that one through. And then it says this in verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. You see, there's this idea that your spirit is way, way more valuable than this. Better that this flesh, this earth suit, this thing that simply connects us to the physical, let let it die because we're all going to die anyway. Just get it in the pine box, man. Let it get to the pine box ASAP. Put it six foot under because absent from the earth suit, you're just present with the Lord. The spirit will go to be with the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, Timothy, hold on to the faith with a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Verse 20 says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Wow. Some of you I know are just going, whoa, your head's kind of spinning right now. It's like taking in water, taking a drink of water from a, Fire hydrant, right? And I don't expect that all of you are going to understand it and all of you are going to get it, but here's the deal. As we head into 2015, it's time for those of you that name the name of Christ to grow up. It's time to start eating some meat. It's time to start really taking your faith seriously. I know many of you do. But there's a lot of you that the, the, the idea of becoming a disciple hasn't happened. You, you, you attend, and I don't want you to attend. God just, God's not interested in, in you attending church. He wants you to belong to a church. And attending and belonging are two different things. Belonging has this idea that, you know what, it's time to get a little bit serious about this journey of faith that, that, I, that I'm in. I need to start really growing in my understanding of what the Word of God says. Now, the third question I, I want to answer is this, and we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking this question starting next weekend. 
Lord willing, and that's this. How do you as a follower of Jesus overcome Satan and the demons? And this is the practical piece of it all. And um, you're not going to want to miss next weekend or the weekend after that. And I don't know if God's coming back or not. If he doesn't, you're just not going to want to miss it. But I do want to leave you with one encouraging thought, okay? The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 1. My dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who's in the world. If you know Jesus Christ, listen to me, listen. The Holy Spirit that indwells you is greater than, than, than the devil, the demons, the serpent. Greater. But here's the deal, if you haven't already picked up on this. Just because you have the Holy Spirit in you doesn't mean you're going to have victory, does it? Yes, the Spirit of God in you is greater than our enemy. But just because you have invited Christ in your life, just because Jesus is in your life, just because you have the Holy Spirit in your life, doesn't mean you're going to have victory. You see, you have a role to play in this warfare. This isn't, well, I know Christ, and I can sit back and just kind of do whatever I want because I got, no, 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 no. That's not how this gig works down here. You have a very active role to, uh, to, to play in this warfare. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you, you're really going to dig it. You're going to go, Wow. Man, I get it. And for some of you, you know, you're gonna, it's just going to be a great reminder. You already know some of these things. But um, know that the Spirit of God in you, if you're a believer, is greater than, than, than our enemy, way greater. And the one thing that can't happen is that the enemy can't rob you of the salvation that came at the moment you gave your life to Christ. Now, he can certainly... Goof around with you, goof you up. If you want to read about that, just read Job 1 and 2, and you'll see how Satan can work in, in a life. But uh, next weekend, we're, we're going we're gonna to take a look at some of these things over the next two weekends, and I think you're really going to dig it. I think it'll make a way, I think your 2015 will be way, way different. Okay, everybody stand up. Let, let, let me pray. Father, thanks, Lord, for a chance to be together this first weekend of the new year, and and I'm thankful for this book I hold in my hand. It's the scouting report on my enemy. And I certainly don't want to alarm people. I don't want them in, in here freaking out and all that kind of stuff. But it's time maybe to swing the pendulum a little bit more the opposite way and just remember we do have an enemy. He's real and he's powerful. And he hates us. He hates the God who lives in us. He hates the God that we are, are wanting to serve. Lord, help us to be more cognitive of his presence and all of that in our lives, God. Father, thanks for your goodness to us. And may this year be a great year for those that name the name of Christ here. May there be lots of growth in people's lives. And while your eyes are closed, if there's somebody here who would like prayer, the altar room is always open. The elders of our church, the spiritual leaders of our church are always in there, and it's a place that you can go and just ask for prayer. You can gather some wisdom. You can go in there and just be by yourself, you and your spouse, you and your kids, just you. Pray. Come in and pray for your parents. The altar room is always available for, for you.
And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.